Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Oddball Sports, and me, it's been a while since I've said that. We've been away for a while, and we're back, hopefully for an extended period of time, since the last time we took a break. Yeah, but we're back, we have a bunch of topics for you today, um, mostly centered around the World Cup going to take place in Qatar in November, later this year, and well, we're going to take a look at the draw that was done as well as some Formula 1 topics like what's going on with McLaren and Mercedes so far this season, as well as looking at how disappointing the Los Angeles Lakers have been this NBA season. Let's get into our first topic for today. Let's take a look at the 2022 World Cup draw, which was done on Friday, April 1st. Group A saw Qatar drawn with Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. Group B has England the Islamic Republic of Iran, the United States of America, uh, and one of either Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. Group C has Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Group D has France, one of Peru, the United Arab Emirates, or Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. Group E has Spain, one of Costa Rica, or New Zealand, Germany, and Japan. Group F has Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. Group G has Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. Group H has Portugal, Argana Black Stars, Uruguay, and South Korea. The groups that have uh, the, that have not been settled with the final member of each group, like Group B, Group D, and Group E, should see all those uh, matches sorted out by June. But let's take a quick look at Group H. We have Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal, Thomas Partey's Ghana, Luis Suarez's Uruguay, and Sutton Heung-min's South Korea. Who do you guys have topping that group, and who do you have coming out in second place? Okay, so um, I feel um, it's 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 an open group. Every single team in the Group H has the quality and 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 standard chance of qualifying out of the group. And if I'm supposed to single out the Blasters of Ghana, I think um, this group very much presents an opportunity for us to play a team of Uruguay, who they, they did us dirty in 2020. South Africa, Jesse Luis Suarez. I mean, we played against Portugal as well, and um, we lost to them. So, um, it's, it's a fine opportunity to, to play them once again and this time around show them what we are we are made of and what we've got in our backyard as well. And I believe um, South Korea would also come all gun blazing because they also want to prove a point. They understand that we'll be, we'll be the underdogs, obviously, because um, the tipsters will be, will be hoping that Portugal and Uruguay will qualify out of the group. But since I'm Ghanaian, um, I would see us qualify from the group. And so I, I, I think to my second in the group, and, and it wouldn't be easy. We, we have to work hard to achieve that. I mean, to me, the Uruguay thing happened 12 years ago, and the fact that it still plays heavily on Ghanaian minds shows how affected they were by, first of all, Luis Suarez's handball, which he did to save his nation, and the subsequent penalty miss by Asano John. You know, you know, for some reason, I, I have a very different take on the handball situation because 
um yeah when i was younger and i watched the match i had a very like i was very hurt by that situation like we all hated suarez we all angry about it but growing up and coming to realize or coming to the realization that if i was in suarez's shoes i would have done the same thing to ensure the qualification of my country i'm like in Suarez's perspective or in Uruguay's perspective, Suarez is a hero. <laughs> and to, to Ghanaian perspective, he's a villain. But if Ghana was to be put in the same shoes, I'm sure anyone would have taken one for the team to ensure that the team would have gone that far, you know, in the World Cup stage. And I mean, if you, let's say if Uruguay had gone that far to um, win the World Cup, Suarez's handball would have been like one of the stories told across or amongst the generations of like, Uruguay children, you know, that oh, it was Suarez's World Cup that actually showed that we got to the World Cup finals and even win. So, I mean, I, well, we have come to, I've come to the realization, I've come to, I've come to terms with the fact that he did what he had to do as a player or as a, as taking one for the team. And if I'm um, to answer your question about which team we see qualifying from the group age, I think what Dave said is true that it does present us with an opportunity to qualify i think with the caliber of players i would say okay probably um uruguay and portugal with portugal coming out top and uruguay coming second but it would if it would please Ghanaians and looking at how it presents an opportunity for ghana to you know get some retribution it would actually be very outstanding if ghana can sneak away with at least like six points and also um knock out uruguay from the group stages yeah, but I mean, looking at it realistically, in my opinion, I'm thinking Portugal will come out on top and Uruguay second. I mean, to me, I feel like, like Dave said at the beginning of his like opening statement, this group is wide open and it could be swung either way. I can see any of the four teams in the group win the group. Um, South Korea could end up winning the group. People forget um, in 2018, they knocked out the Germans in 2014. Ghana gave Portugal a very big show. 2018, Uruguay knocked out Portugal in the um, round of 16. So, like, any of these teams could end up winning the group. But as a Ghanaian, I could see us, like, in our opening game, probably getting a draw against Portugal, um, beating Uruguay in the revenge match, and then maybe scraping another draw against South Korea or possibly beating them, leaving us with um, five or seven points and that should see us comfortably qualify but at the same time like we could end up lo- like losing all three go- games by one goal and not qualifying or we could draw all three games and end up like not qualifying so basically what i'm saying is like this group is very open anything can happen and hopefully by the time november comes around we call all the best available players we can call into the squad and we ride our luck and everything goes the way of the black stars whilst they stay in qatar i think what everyone has said makes a lot of sense it's very open it's very difficult to pinpoint and say these two teams are going to make it through or these three teams are going to make it through but just like nana said hopefully in that from now to november ghana is able to call up a lot of the experienced players that are out there to come and join the team and that could give us a chance to even make it out and like we also rightly said about uh, south korea i don't know why a lot of people don't really see them as a big team but they're actually quite quite going to be quite the competition for all the teams in the group so currently it's a very open thing to call 
and I'm not really sure. It's very hard to talk. I can see Portugal losing. I can see I can see Uruguay falling out. I can clearly see Ghana falling out currently. I can see anybody falling out. So it's very hard to call. Like I can honestly, because people forget last year, um, the Copa America, Uruguay didn't do well. Like and they have a like they have an aging squad. Suarez is in his thirties, um, his mid thirties. Um, Cavani's in his mid thirties. Like the two players they rely on the most up front are close to like are basically after this tournament might hit the international retirement button and like these are who they're relying on for goals. So like we'll just wait and see like how their bodies feel in November because like this season is going to be a grueling one and like with aging players when they have to play a lot of minutes. You never know how their bodies will react. I just want to see how their bodies will hold up and react. And, like, honestly, on the Ghana front, I'm happy with the way the technical team handled the two legs against Nigeria. They seemed very composed. There seemed to be a plan in place, a plan we did not see um, Ghana have at the African Cup of Nations in January. And, like, it was a much more dogged display over two legs over over 180 minutes of football, both in Kumasi and in Abuja. Yeah, so um, like you just said, um, I think the new um, technical brains behind the team once again proved to the whole country that um, they can do the job, and we only need to trust them and give them the maximum support, and um, they will bring they will bring their love back, obviously. Um, Against Nigeria, superb master plan to make sure we don't even concede at home, and 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 we're able to do that. Go there and score a goal, and try and close the game. We did that and it worked. So I think um, we have the the men to do the job from from the bench and then on the field as well. We just need to motivate them enough. They should they should know that each and every game at the World Cup um, is like a final, and and they have a lot to prove. Our team is mainly youngsters. Um, the 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 mid twenties are a lot. Um, there's a possibility we might have Inaki Williams, Tariq Lamte, Salisu, you know, all of these guys. Um, joining the team and and it tells you the kind of quality that they have even though um the addition the addition would i mean give a lot of headache to the the coach and the assistants behind him as well because um you realize that most of their positions Odoi has in Odoi of course competing with Joseph Pinto and Kamal Dean and the likes there's a lot of competition in the team already, and the addition obviously would would create a lot of um, competition in the team. And I believe um, the coaches will be up to task and 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 make sure they always field the best eleven that the country can back at the same time for them to go and and and, and fight for the colors and the badge. The country. So, um, once again, it's a good, it's a good draw. We have a lot to prove, 
and and I believe the team can do better at the World Cup in Qatar. I mean, uh, there's nothing more that like they said. Like I said before, if even if all these players like come and say they'll play for Ghana, I just want to see the best. Tw- is it twenty four, twenty eight men like who will represent Ghana ready to like play for the badge? As long as they're all ready to play for the badge and ready to represent Ghana, I will support them a hundred percent because which at the end of the day they're just going to go out and represent the country in the best way they know how by kicking up ball around for ninety minutes. All right, so let's look, move on and let's take a look at some NBA basketball. Um, and specifically, let's take a look at the Los Angeles Lakers, led by LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk. Who else is on the roster? Sierra? Dwight Howard, Ariza, um, Austin Reed. It's been a horrible season for the Los Angeles Lakers, who currently have a uh, 31 and 46 um record basically things aren't looking good for the lakers they look like they will miss the play in tournament this year so serum what do you think the problem has been with the lakers this season like we've spoken about this time and time again but things haven't improved the westbrook thing doesn't seem to have worked out lebron has been dealing with a knee issue he's been dealing with niggling injuries his age seems like it's finally showing Anthony Davis is has been his injury prone self the whole season like what's going on with our beloved Lakers I mean there's really not much to say we, we can clearly see what's going on um Lakers have been extremely disappointing this season and I think it has to do with the fact that it's an entirely new roster and uh, they've not had time to build up the chemistry like other teams have. So it's it's been an entirely like, aside the, aside the fact that, you know, which you've already mentioned that it's been an injury riddled season, losing a lot of key players, never really having the full roster together for like, a very long time it's it's been nothing short of disappointing so yeah currently Lakers are like the most disappointing team because there, were, uh, there was a lot of expectations of them coming into the season because considering they were the 20 um 2020 champions then followed by the fact that they were able to make the playoffs in 2021 and they were kicked off by the Suns due to the reason of injuries you know People were like, okay, Lakers could have probably eliminated the Suns or probably have not even been in the plane if they did not have those injuries during the season. So this was kind of like a redemption season for Lakers, considering being champions, being kicked out of the first round. It's like, can you do your best? And it's like, now this season is like, we're even looking worse than we've looked in the past two, two years. So Lakers have been quite, you know, very disappointing. Um, but I think in a way, too, it's also a good thing like if if the organization is looking to maintain this team i think it will help us in the long run if we're able to build our chemistry and then maybe add a, f- a few pieces that we need but then i feel like with what lakers always try to do trying to remain competitive and always shifting things around it doesn't help the team grow i mean we've seen this with warriors where it's like with warriors where they took the time to build a team and build a chemistry and now everyone is like 
yeah, maybe they're not, they're not the best team in the league right now anymore. But when you look at it, it's like they have a better chemistry than Lakers do, and they were able to surprise us by you know playing very well this season. So if Lakers can take their time to build the team and use this season as a lesson learned to ensure that the team chemistry is on a high note, people are able to build their confidence like Westbrook. Westbrook is able to regain his confidence and start playing at his MVP level caliber. Then I think it will go a long way to help us get prepared for next season. Yeah, Bro, I think they just want missing the playoffs and having to give your pick what you gave up to get Anthony Davis, who hasn't been of much help this season. is like It's a double blow and like if you don't make the playoffs and you have to give up like draft capital, essentially, like you're going to end up setting yourself back anyway, unless you can make a blockbuster trade like, yet again this summer to get rid of someone like Westbrook and maybe an Anthony Davis to get back like adequate pieces you could put around LeBron and retool into like being. I don't. I think if we trade away AD, I don't think we're gonna get back like another elite elite player so like unless like lebron goes sicko mode next season without ad and whatever we get for ad like we like i just see us being a playoff contender but not a serious championship contender if you get what i mean but like right now palinka has to like work his magic i think at the end of the season they'll fire vogel so they need to make um the right hire as head coach i do not want to see any of the assistants on the staff right now being promoted to head coach, like especially that David Fisdale guy. He failed in New York. He failed like he didn't like he didn't fail in Memphis, but like he was chased out of Memphis. It didn't really work out in New York. And like I just I think the job in LA is too big for him. He should probably get like another like smaller market job. Yeah, those are my thoughts on the Lakers. It's been a disappointing season. Like when you're losing games early in the season to the Kings and like other teams that are not good and people were trying to sweep it under a rug that oh they're just getting used to each other like you could see there were glaring problems with the team like you can still see the glaring problems with um how Westbrook is used alongside LeBron and AD sometimes he's just standing there uh, like in the corner which is the most useless thing because everyone will just key in on everyone else because they don't like they don't respect him as a shooter like it's one of the most frustrating things to watch this season like having three amazing individual players who do not mesh well together and a coach who has not found a system to help them mesh well together maybe like Vogel's best year was in 2020 in the bubble where he was able to game plan with when we had Danny Green we had KCP we had Kuz we had we had Markeith Morris we had like um Caruso we had Rondo like we had people playing out of their skin and for the purple and gold but we don't have that anymore it seems like and it seems like he's run out of ideas because he's supposed to be a defensive coach but nobody's trying hard on defense for the Lakers right now that's one of the problems that we, like is really underlined right now because I mean with the, with the former squad that we had during our championship season it looked like everybody felt like I don't know whether it was because of the trades that happened to acquire KD I say KD um, Anthony Davis so it looked like everybody was like playing out of their skin like with, with like just you know really playing hard trying to put in effort Kuzma that was like a good scorer then became like a very elite rebounder 
or at least a very good rebounder and was like knew his role as a defensive player and everything. So I don't know, but it it feels like we we have swayed completely from that path that we 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 picked before, and now no one is trying to put in effort on the team anymore. And the very few people that are putting in effort are either inconsistent or are sometimes overlooked or overshadowed. And I feel like the team, the team really needs to take a step back, identify their problems, and try and align better for next season. Because I feel like that is the only thing we can do right now. And I mean, well, for now, too, it might be a little good because going into next season, there would be low expectations of the team. So, yeah, with the low expectations, I think they can do a better job than what we did this season or what we've done this season. All right, let's move on to Formula One. Um, we've seen the first two races of the season so far take place, one in Bahrain and one in Saudi Arabia. So um, we've seen teams with um, Mercedes engines in particular struggle to open the season. Uh, we've seen a surprise um, in Haas this season. No longer the bottom dwellers, but um, sitting comfortably in midfield at the moment. Out. Look at the constructors' um, championship right now after the first two races and see how the points are looking. In first place right now are Ferrari on seventy-eight points. Mercedes are second on thirty-eight points. Red Bull third on thirty-seven points. Alpine in fourth place on sixteen points. Haas are fifth on twelve points. Um, Alfa Romeo are sixth on nine points. Alphatari are 7th on 8 points, McLaren are 8th on 6 points, and Aston Martin and Williams are ninth and 10th respectively on 0 points each. When you compare that to last year, uh, Mercedes led after 2 races, Mercedes left the constructors on 60 points, they're currently in 2nd place. Um, Red Bull was 2nd on 53 points, they're currently in 3rd place this year. McLaren was third last year. They're currently in eighth. Um, Ferrari, who were fourth last year after two races, are currently sit top. It's just interesting to see how the top four from last year and this year seems to have um changed with Ferrari looking like the team to beat so far. Melvin, I'll start with you. Who do you think is the team to beat this year? Is it Ferrari or do you still think Red Bull has it in the bag? before we move on to your favorite team in McLaren. Okay, so uh, Ferrari are clearly the team to beat right now. They're the only ones who seem to have everything together. And when we come to Red Bull, let's go to baby Red Bull in their Alpha Tari team. Every time we see an issue with the main Red Bull team, we see a similar issue with the Alpha Tari team. So you can also see that in the Red Bull camp, there are still some things to be worked on. In Mercedes too as well, the W13 is not doing as well as we thought it would. Even the uh, introduction of the new driver, George Russell, he's not been as exciting as I expected him to be. Currently, it just seems like Ferrari. Ferrari is the one to beat. They're the only ones that have it together. Even from the first practice that was held in Barcelona, everybody was looking at Ferrari. I think Daniel Ricciardo even mentioned that he, he at that point in time, Ferrari were not really showing what their true potential was them and Red Bull, but we see that from the first two races, in the first race, Red Bull still has some issues to work on, which 
they seemingly have work done in the second race so we're just waiting for the third to see whether the competition will stiffen up or ferrari have it in the bag i mean to me i'm just glad for my f1 fantasy i put um ferrari as my constructors because i started off with mclaren and quickly realized my foolish ways after week one so i swapped them out ferrari do look like the team to beat they like leclerc and Sainz look very comfortable in the car um, they're the two drivers who haven't had much to complain about so far this season. Verstappen has had a lot to whine and complain about, even though he won um, the race, the last race they had in Saudi Arabia. He was still whining about, um, complaining about Leclerc not helping, Leclerc cheating, blah, blah, blah. That guy already have issues with him, the way he won his championship last year. But um, this is a new season, so I have to let it go. To be honest, very honest Ferrari probably has it. Mercedes are they look like usually every like before the start of every f1 season people say oh um mercedes are sandbagging it they're like they're just they're making a lot of noise but once the season starts like everything will be fine but this season that like everyone can see everything is not fine like for the first time in such a long time like hamilton did not make it out of q1 q1 like in, in qualifying like that doesn't happen to mercedes it's it's weird just like that they found themselves in this position but at the same time as long as they keep trying to scrape points and they finish third i know it's going to be a disappointment for total wolf and the rest of the team but at this point there's nothing i feel they could really do like unless in the next three or four weeks they're able to like figure out what the main issue like that's causing um what george russell called as bouncing in the car because like they, they, like both drivers keep complaining that the car is bouncing um which is why they are not racing to their absolute best but like it's made for an interesting season like at least this year you know mercedes is going to be you don't know but you feel like mercedes is going to be knocked off their perch i mean they're my favorite constructors but like it'll be nice to see like a construct another constructor win for the first time in what seven eight years so hopefully it's Ferrari because I can't stand Red Bull. Um, that's all I have to say about the matter. But what, looking at McLaren, um, Melvin, I know they're your favorite constructors. Like, what's going on with them? Because Lando Norris was complaining that there's only one main, one big problem holding um the team back, and that was a lack of downforce. Um, he said the car's balance has not been too bad, and there's been no other fundamental vices. It's just down downforce, just overall grip. It's quite a simple thing. And he said that before the Saudi GP. So, like, what do you think is going on with your favorite people? And do you think, with your favorite constructors, and do you think you, um, they can bounce back this season? Or do you think it's going to be a, a problem that is going to last them the whole season? <laughs> um, so, with McLaren, under normal circumstances, for, like, the past two or three years, we've known them as the team that's usually battling for third or fourth. But in this case, currently, they're way down. I don't see a way out of it because, well, if we take both drivers, Ricardo doesn't seem to be in rhythm. He seems to have lost his touch, the touch he had when he was at Red Bull. So um, I'm, it takes two two teammates to lift the, the constructors up. And I think Daniel Ricardo has quite... He's lost it. He's really lost it. Even in the previous race that just ended, the one in... 
Saudi Arabia. He seemed to have been picking it up and then I think his engine went off or something of that sort. So all the minus the technical difficulties, I think the drivers also need to pull their weight too. And Daniel doesn't seem to be doing it as much as expected. So and well he used to be my favorite driver when he was at Red Bull because of his character. Even when he went to when he was at Renault too as well. But right now he is not the same. Not the same. The last time he was in the limelight was I think last season Monza when they got the one two. Since then it's not been the same. It's not been the same. I don't think they'll make top four this this time round. We just hope that they manage to fix things and at least make fit. Why? So you don't want Haas you, you don't want Haas finishing above McLaren? I mean Haas excuse me to say Haas has literally been the only team in sport in general to have I'm actually very happy for them to have benefited from this Ukraine war. The dropping of Mazepin has been the biggest blessing to them because Magnussen is doing some things that nobody expected. I'm I'm actually really proud of them. But to, to, they are has they are currently only relying on one driver, Schumacher. I I think maybe he'll be cleared for the next the next race, but he's not he's not that good a driver compared to Magnussen. I don't see if. McLaren managed to put things together and have both drivers working well. They should be. They should easily pass them. Find a way to pass them. We have a lot of races left, so like they say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Let's wait and see. <laughs> All right. So um, the last thing we'll do on F one is uh, we'll take a look at the um, new F one race they've announced for next season, um, which is going to t- take place in Vegas. Which means there's going to be uh, a bunch of races in America next year. Um, do you think it's a good addition to add a Saturday, so like a Saturday night race in Vegas, which means like usually if you, for those who don't know Formula One, practices are usually on Fridays, qualifying is on Saturday, and the race is usually on Sunday. But for Vegas, the um, practice will be on a Thursday, the qualifying will be on a Friday. And the race will take place on a Saturday. Melville, I, I just want to get your thoughts on this before we wrap up this episode. What do you think of this change? And do you th- really think um, everything that F1 does, F1 and the FIA do, is just for cash because cash is king in their world and nothing else really matters? Everything they do is for cash. Even the race in Jeddah was supposed to be dropped. They had a whole four hour meeting with the drivers to try and convince them as to why the race should go on. I mean, bombs were exploded, missiles were launched. I mean, come on, it was the most unsafe, safe setting, unsafe setting to have a race. But they came out with a whole statement to say that the racetrack would be the safest place in the whole city or so. So everything they do is for cash, especially with the Vegas thing. Clearly, well, Saturday night is well peak hours in Vegas, so it makes sense to have the race at that point in time for maximum viewership, especially in the stands and things. Sunday is when everybody is probably cooling down and getting ready to go back to their normal lives wherever they came from. So it makes sense why they arranged it that way. It's just that it will affect all the other all the international fans because the table is set in a way that you know your time zones and you know when you are watching your matches, when you are watching the races. Now with the nighttime race, it will really affect people in different, especially even us in Ghana. It will really affect us because of the whole five-hour difference. I'm used to it being in the afternoon. Now it's going to be at some weird time. But we know Cash is king in F1, so what can you do? Cash is king. Cash rules everything around them. It's been another episode of All Sports. 
between the hours and out of our cats and I've been joined today by David Kofite, Melvin Kwashi, and Sarah McCarthy. Thank you for listening to yet another episode. Um, I'm glad we're back. Um, if you're listening to this episode, it means our producer, um, KP the DJ, actually didn't feel lazy this week and actually um, sent us the copy of this. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening. Um, it's been me, Nalmar Katzen. with From the rest of the Oddball team, um, thank you for listening. Um, have a good rest of the week. <laughs>